6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of Psalms, chapters 90 through 100. Well, we're reviewing, rather superficially, I have to add, the book of Psalms. And uh, we are entering the fourth of five books. We finished book three last time. Book four consists of Psalms 90 through 106. And uh, we'll be attempting to cover this in uh, two sessions. Book four is called the Numbers section. The book, of, the book of Psalms is five books, really. And each one, one through five. And it's, some people call it, label those books uh, parallel to the to the uh, the Pentateuch, and this, in that sense, this is the Numbers section. Book of Numbers was the wanderings of Israel. Uh, it was a t- it was a period of challenge and dangers, and Book Four focuses on that. And uh, the Numbers section is uh, really about peril and protection, very much so. And uh, this is it really is parallel to the tragedy of a generation dying in the wilderness and reaching their goal, the promised land. Think about Moses. He spent 40 years in Egypt, then 40 years on the backside of the desert, and then spent 40 years on a funeral march, watching several million people die. We got to Kadesh Barnea. With a lack of faith, they didn't go in, so God said all those that were 20 years and older would pass away. It would be the children that would enter the land. And for 38 years, they wandered under his leadership. And so it's interesting that this group of psalms starts with the oldest psalm of the the group. It was written by Moses, or at least attributed to him. It's the only psalm by Moses that uh, we have. And uh, if you start classifying these psalms, there are some that are theocratic, there's some that are penitential, there's some that are thanksgiving, some that are focusing on the nation, Israel specifically, and there's a couple that are really uh, historical summaries. But they all overlap, and I wouldn't make too much of these classifications. I'll let you know that they, there are these classifications. I'm not sure how useful they really are, to be honest with you. And that, that reminds me of something else I just want to underscore. Generally, when we go through a book in the Bible, we go at it expositionally. We try to dig into what the text is really saying and what the meanings are behind it and so forth. Uh, It's very much an expositional study. Trying to go through the book of Psalms in that way is an exercise in frustration because most of the words are not missed. There are a few, but most of them are understood. It's not as if there's some profound expositional content behind them. We can infer speculate on the historical setting that caused the psalm to be written, but we're guessing in most part. These were songs. These were hymns. Um, Many of the psalms are quite prophetic, and those are quite startling. But all of this misses the point, 
and I want to underscore this because we're going through these psalms very superficially. The way we should be going through these psalms is to take them one at a time and really digest them personally, emotionally, not intellectually, emotionally, from the gut. And uh, there's 150 of them, so if we spend an hour on each one, you know, that would, we could easily end up with a three or four year study, which is going to be a little enduring, if you will. And that's still second best. The psalms should be personal. So we're going the other way around. We're going to touch them lightly. We'll go through and give you a few remarks about them. But if you're serious about your Bible study, you need to take these and meditate upon them. Read them over, not three or four, 30 or 40 times. Make them personal. Uh, some of them will reach you very, very deeply. Some of them may, you may not grab you at all. And that's probably because you haven't been there that it's dealing with. The Psalms tend to be very poignant if you've been through some dark times, if you've been through some serious challenges. The Psalms will reach you. That's what they're designed for. And so, again, these are we, uh, the, the sacrifices, the animals that were used for sacrifice were animals that chewed the cud. And that, that was a deliberate pun by the Holy Spirit. We should be chewing the cud. Jeremiah says, thy words were found and I did eat them. John says the same thing in Revelation 10. We need to do that too. It's not a, a, a quick swallow. It's a, a real digestion. Martin Luther comments on this. He says, just as Moses acts in teaching the law, so does he in this psalm. For he reaches death, sin, and condemnation in order that he may alarm the proud who are secure in their sins and that he may set before their eyes their sin and evil. That's Luther's comment on this psalm. So it opens the prayer of Moses, the man of God. And, uh, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Simple sentence. But it should evoke a question in your own mind. Is the Lord your dwelling place? Where do you really dwell? There were six generations between Abraham and Moses. And... Uh, well, let's just see where it goes here. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. The word everlasting in the Hebrew really is from vanishing point to vanishing point. Visualize yourself standing on railroad tracks, and when you look down the one way, it's where they appear to meet. It's from vanishing point to vanishing It's from... Infinity to infinity, in a sense. From everlasting to everlasting. Thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, Return ye, children of men. For a thousand years are in thy sight, are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Boy, you know, time does fly. When you get my age, you begin to look back and you wonder where... Has the time gone? Looking back, it just whisks by. I can remember a, a movie, a science fiction movie, of, talking about the distant future called 2001. <laughs> you get it, okay. When it's past, it is a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as with a flood, they are as asleep. As in the morning, they are like grass which groweth up. And uh, so, 
This is, this is by Moses who watched over a million people die. He spent 38 years on a funeral march. So he had a real feeling of the exigency of life. He probably saw more funerals than any of us ever would dream of seeing. In the morning it flourisheth, speaking of grass, at morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger and by thy wrath. We are troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The Hebrew in verse 9 actually says uh, that uh, we spend our years as a moan. This thing has a very doleful sound. This psalm is, uh, is uh, the, the, the secret sins. You know, there are, angels, there are no such things as secret sins. The angels are watching. They see what we're doing. You need to understand that we're on stage. And that reminds, that's, that's where I get verse 9 too. I think Shakespeare said it another way in Hamlet, you know. Our life's a tale full of sound and fury, yet signifying nothing. Our years are as a tale that is told. How about yours? What's your tale going to be like? The days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. Three score and ten. I'm on borrowed time. Somebody gave me a coffee cup. It says, the Lord put me on this earth to accomplish certain things. And right now I'm so far behind, I know I'll live forever. Right? <laughs> I just got back from my 50th reunion of the Naval Academy. And uh, my classmates are over the hill. And they all have the same question. How can you be over the hill if you've never been to the top? You know, it's... <laughs> But anyway, three score and ten. Who knoweth the power of thine anger, even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. This is a stewardship issue. What is the most inelastic thing that you have to spend? You know, economists speak of elastic and inelastic supply and demand. Something that's elastic is something you can always get more of, right? What is the most inelastic thing that you have to be steward over? Time, exactly right. And that's why this is probably the key admonition of this section right here. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Your most important stewardship what is your most, your wife will tell you, well, of course, it's the family. That's certainly ahead of your career. I understand that. But what's even more important than your family? Your heart. The stewardship of your heart is your biggest challenge in life. And uh, apply your hearts unto wisdom. And of course, of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God uh, is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, and so on. The psalmist continues, return, O Lord, how long? And let it repent thee according, concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. But Moses is saying life is a difficult school. 
Life is a difficult school, and we should pray that the lessons not be wasted. You're going through hard times, one of your prayers should be that the lessons that God's teaching you not be wasted. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. So that's Psalm 90. Psalm 90. We don't do it justice. I'll leave it to you to do justice by rereading it at your leisure. Let's go on to one of the most well-known psalms in the Scripture. Psalm 90 was a psalm of the difficulties of life. Psalm 91 is really a psalm of the dangers of life. And it reveals a wonderful place of protection and safety for each of us. I can remember vividly sitting in the car in the driveway of my pastor as he was, we were saying goodbye. I was leaving to head for the Naval Academy. And one of the things he gave me was Psalm 91. Says Chuck, when you're there, just remember Psalm 91. And it's a very, very, it, it saw me through my academy days and many, many adventures subsequent. My wife and I carry Psalm 91 on our keychain. Very, very special place in our lives. And let's just take, let's just jump in. Psalm 91, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. Great place to be. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noise and pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers, and under His wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. You know, it's interesting, any time you get on a radio show with Collins and, someone's, and, and someone confronts you, and you to the point where you admit that you take the Bible literally, which I do, the predictable response, well, then you think God has feathers. They, that's it. They, they ignore the fact that there are figures of speech in the Scripture, over 200 different kinds of figures of speech in the Scripture, all cataloged and indexed. But see... Often, even these figures of speech are, are myopia on the part of the critic. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. What is the psalmist talking about? Is he speaking of an idiom, of a protective mother hen of something? Could be, but there's another clearer thought here. He could be talking about dwelling in the holy of holies, under the cherubim. That's where he, where that, that's the imagery that I suspect is being alluded to here. Shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. The word buckler actually in the Hebrew means to go around. It's some, some translations say bulwark or rampart, but whatever. And uh, thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. You can sort of picture a Jewish family hovering behind a door with blood on the doorposts that night in Egypt when the death angel went through and took the firstborn of all the Egyptians. 
A thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. And, it, and Israel did, in fact, see the death of the firstborn with their own eyes in Exodus 12, and also on the shore of the Red Sea when the Egyptian army drowned, Exodus 14, and so on. It's not restricted to that, but certainly those, imageries, those images come to mind. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. That sounds familiar to you probably because you may recall Satan quoted that to Christ. But whenever Satan quotes scripture, you can bank on the fact he misquotes it or twists it or leaves something out. In this case, he left out in all thy ways. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. And they shall bear thee up in their hands lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder. Now the lion and the adder or asp, snake. The lion and the snake are symbols of what? Evil or Satan specifically. He goes about as a roaring lion and so forth. Thou shalt trample under feet. And indeed Jesus did. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Psalm 91. Precious, precious psalm. Encourage you to keep a copy handy and use it as your refuge. Let's go to Psalm 92. This is a song of praise for the Sabbath day. And it, uh, it tells of praise and worship, which is what Sabbath is all about. And... Uh, Yotevavhe or Jehovah or whatever is used seven times in this psalm. And uh, so, it is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High. You want to do something good today? Get up in the morning, you want to do something good? What's a safe bet? Give thanks to the Lord right then, right then, right now. Whatever you're doing, whatever, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, that's a good thing to do. It's a safe thing to do. It's a constructive. It pleases him. Sing praises to his name. I think that word sing is broad. If I tried to sing, I don't think it would be a joyful noise. So just, yeah. Okay. To show forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night upon an instrument of ten strings and upon the psaltery and upon the harp with a solemn sound. I can never resist that. I can't, I'm fascinated whenever I see the ten strings. It's the only strings you see numbered. You don't see four or eight or six. You see always ten strings. I don't know if... Do, do we use any ten-stringed instruments in modern music? I don't think so. But the physicists tell us that we live in a universe that's... Our physical reality consists of a ten-stringed assumption, which is, I think, fascinating. I'm not saying that's necessarily what's in view here, but I find it interesting that there's that tie together here. So, for what it's worth, we'll move on. For thou, Lord, hast made me glad through thy work. I will triumph... In the works of thy hands. O Lord, how great are thy works, and thy thoughts are very deep. 
A brutish man knoweth not, neither doth a fool understand this. The word brutish, that's translated brutish here, means beastly, lasting values, uh, discernment, savage, living only to satisfy the appetite. Uh, the way we'd probably say it, you know, it's uh, 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 rude, crude, and socially unacceptable. But uh, brutish man, or uh, that's why uh, some translations just say the stupid man, senseless, rude, whatever. The stupid man knoweth not, neither doth a fool understand this. When the wicked spring is the grass, and when all the workers of iniquity do flourish, it is that they shall be destroyed forever. One of the recurring themes that will occur all through the Psalms is, why do the wicked prosper? One of the frustrations we all have in life is we see the wicked prosper and the deserving go trampled. And that occurs again and again and again. And until we look up or until we look to the sink. Look to the sanctuary and we realize God's going to put it all right. When the wicked springs grass and, the wicked, and all the workers of iniquity do flourish, it is that they shall be destroyed forever. But thou, Lord, art most high forevermore. For lo, thine enemies, O Lord, for lo, thine enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. You know, it's interesting how most people live as though God does not exist. Even Christians seem to live rather ten, uh, you know, tentatively. And uh, we eat, sleep, rest, play, work. That's it for most people. Rather than really recognize that God is really what it's all about. And he's, what's, he's, what, he's everything. But anyway, the psalmist continues, But my horn shalt thou exalt like the horn of a unicorn. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Mine eye also shall see my desire on mine enemies. And mine ears shall hear my desire of the wicked that they rise up against me. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree, and he shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Palm tree was an emblem of victory, incidentally. And the cedar tree is, denotes, or I should say connotes, uh, strength and seriousness. And uh, so the, this is a picture of the righteous who are walking in the fellowship with God even today. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall sp still spring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. They to show that the Lord is upright, he is my rock. There is no unrighteousness in him. And obviously you can springboard sermon-wise sermon on any one of these things, but we'll keep moving here. Psalm 93 is a millennial psalm, psalm of praise. It's a little tiny psalm of just five verses, and it's tucked between, obviously, 92 and 94, but it's a song of sheer praise because the king is reigning. You and I can take comfort, no matter how dark things might be, is that the king is reigning. And uh, so that's why the psalm technically really is a millennial psalm. And uh, it speaks of the Lord who has come to reign gloriously on the earth. The Lord reigneth. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength wherewith he hath girded himself. The world also is established that it cannot be moved. The throne is established of old. Thou art from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves in the sea. Thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. That's it. Man, this is a little song. This is a, we're, we're paging through a hymnal here without the music. And uh, that's basically what... The, but this, this, the picture here is that the flood of sin, the tide of sin, is over. And Satan's head has been crushed is the implication here. Okay, Psalm 94. 
And this is a call for God to intervene against the wicked, a popular theme here. From Psalm 94 to 100 is a series of psalms, seven psalms that tell a continuous story. They're kingdom songs, speaking of the sovereign reign of the Messiah. And uh, so what we really have here is a glimpse, a revelation of Christ ruling on the earth. It's it's after the great tribulation and all the trouble that comes with it. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongeth, O God, to whom vengeance belongeth, show thyself. Lift up thyself, thou judge of the earth. Render a reward to the proud. Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? How long shall they utter and speak hard things? And all the workers of iniquity boast themselves. They break in pieces thy people, O Lord, and afflict thine heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say, the Lord shall not see, neither shall the, Lord, uh, shall the God of Jacob regard it. Understand ye brutish among the people. There's that term again, same term, stupid, whatever. Ye brutish among the people and ye fools, when will ye be wise? He that planteth the ear, shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, shall he not see? He that chastiseth the heathen, shall not he correct? He that teacheth man knowledge, shall he not be known? Shall he not know? The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man that they are vanity. Blessed is the man whom thou chastenest, O Lord, and teachest him out of thy law, that thou mayest give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit be digged for the wicked. For the Lord will not cast off his people, neither will he forsake his inheritance. But judgment shall return unto righteousness, and all the upright in heart shall follow it. Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? And who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul had almost dwelt in silence. When I said, my foot slippeth, thy mercy, O Lord, held me up. In the multitude of thy thoughts, in the multitude of my thoughts, within me thy comforts delight my soul. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Psalms. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. Or you can call us on 1-800-KHOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.